1: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Did you know one in four women 20 years or older, let me say that again, one in four women 20 years or older will experience a pelvic floor disorder disorder in her lifetime? And you're probably saying, what is PFD? What is it? And you're going to find out because joining me here today is, the, is one of the experts in the field. Dr. Kimberly Kenton is joining me here today, division chief of female pelvic medicine and reconstruction surgery at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Um, a also director of women's integrated pelvic health program. Um, l- listen, I, I read that again, doctor, uh, and welcome to the show. One out of four women 20 years or older. See, this is one of these things where we have to look at this and educate ourselves better, don't you think?
2: Absolutely. I think that I would say that this was one of the most unfortunately best kept secrets in medicine that women just don't talk about this. I think often their doctors don't talk about it. Um, And so as we say in our field, so many women just suffer in silence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, that's why I love doing these segments. And certainly for you. And let me just ask you this question. You know, you are board certified OBGYN. You are somebody that is in the field every day. You are working with women um, and you're looking at what we go through. So there's something about mm-hmm. this that has sparked a flame inside of you that brings you to, to this place of passion about this. Tell me what that is. Tell me what you're seeing and tell me what you'd like to help women with.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the, what kind of directed me to the field of urogynecology or female pelvic medicine reconstructive surgery, which is a secondary certification after one is board certified in OBGYN um, was medical school. I happened to rotate through a urogynecology service I was actually a big rollerblader at the time, didn't really know much about the field. And a 63 year old woman came in who ironically seemed ancient at the time and not so old anymore. And I was like in awe because she was still rollerblading with her grandchildren and had given up rollerblading because she was leaking through her, first her pads and then her Depends um, undergarments. And when she would talk to her the OBGYN that had delivered her children 30 years ago he pretty much said to her oh this is normal this, this is what happens to women when they get older you know oh well and i was able to watch the woman who was my mentor lean over put her hand on her leg and say this is certainly common in women after they have babies and they get older but it's not normal and there's things that we can do to to fix it and improve your quality of life and you know, I was able to evaluate her, mm-hmm. figure out what her goals are, take her to surgery and see her back a couple months later. when she was, again, rollerblading with her grandchildren and not wearing any undergarments. Yeah. So I really realized it was a way that women who were really changing their lifestyles and not doing the things that they want to do and the things that are going to keep them active and healthy um, and in a really relatively short period of time, figure out the treatment that works best for them, and then improve their quality of life so they can get back to living.
1: Yeah. You know, listen, Dr. Kenton, one of the things really that I'm struck by, and maybe you can help on this. um, I'm not quite sure how it is for men, but uh, let's talk about women for a minute. And I, I rarely leave our men out of the conversation because men can be such incredible support systems. But one of the things I'm really struck by is how many of us are afraid to even bring up the subject with our doctors. And beyond being afraid, don't even know where to start. Um, can we talk about that for a minute? Because I think knowing the questions to ask. And then, and then also, you know, if you don't like the answer you get, you don't have to settle for it, right? And I think this is something, a pattern that I'd love to see us break.
2: Yeah, I think that those are such excellent points, you know, and humbling for me as a clinician, you um, who probably also sometimes leaves patients hanging when I shouldn't, um, and certainly not intending to. I think that women, you know, the great thing about pelvic floor disorders are they are quality of life. So, Women can individualize how much their symptoms are bothering them and when they're ready to seek treatment and what they're willing to go through to get better. Um, but I do think that if you have urinary control problems or bowel control problems or any discomfort in your pelvic area, I think you should bring that up with your physician. Um, most of us use as our primary points of access is women, either primary care physicians, internal medicine, family medicine, or even OBGYN. Um, ask them about it. Most primary care screening guidelines recommend that primary care doctors have as one of their screening questions, similar to the way they screen for, do you wear your seatbelt and do you smoke? Um, do you have any urinary incontinence? Um, and many of them may not have the time or the expertise to get into in-depth answers and discussion about those things, but at least ask them for a referral to a board certified um,
1: You know, I love that we're talking about this because it's really empowering. It's beyond even that, right? Uh, But it helps us to understand that there are questions we could ask and that we deserve answers for. But in addition to that... Well, let's talk about what's at stake here for women. You know, are there risk factors? You know, what are some of the things that when you think about this and you're speaking with the patient sitting across from you, you know, it's almost like, did you know this? And, you know, this, the question I'm asking is, this, this information you have that will help people make decisions, what are your top three things women should know?
2: I mean, I think that probably the two biggest risk factors are pregnancy, delivery, and aging. So those aren't necessarily preventable risk factors or Mm -hmm. modifiable ones. Um, Most of us are gonna have a baby and we're gonna get older, haven't figured out how to change that that dynamic. Um, But I do think that there's things that we can do um, along the way. In France, everyone who has a delivery, gets referred for pelvic floor physical therapy. It is a standard part of postpartum care. So that's something that we don't do routinely. But if women are educated, I think that they can certainly ask their OBGYNs for referrals to either urogynecology or pelvic floor physical therapy. At Northwestern Medicine, we have a clinic called P-Pod, which is run by um, one of my associates, Dr. Christina Lewicki-Gout, in conjunction with a Uh, a doctor of physical therapy and an advanced practice nurse who they only see women in that clinic who are either pregnant or newly postpartum, Mm. and they're able to develop prevention and treatment plans for individual patients. Um, I also think that as women get older, and they start to develop some of these symptoms, I think sometimes they get kind of overlooked by well, yeah. life-threatening conditions mm-hmm. but I think that these can become life-threatening if you think about I mean I see women who are in their 20s and 30s who have already stopped jogging they don't go on the trampoline with their kids because they're leaking urine and we just continue to modify our activity levels you know starting in our 20s and 30s to the time we're 60 or 70. And we all know the importance of strength training and cardiovascular exercise um, to prevent more serious life conditions. So I think it's really important that we don't minimize these and we treat them Um, for both our physical health as well as our emotional well-being.
1: I love that you're talking about this because, you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for bringing that up because what we do is, uh, and I want to get back to something you say. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been told Well, you know, you are getting older and, you know, I'm talking about this conversation started like, like even before I was 40 and there's some, right. And we buy into that conversation. And I think if there is one thing that I take away, that's very empowering, uh, Dr. Kenton, from what you're doing is for women to not accept that as, you know, this, this is just life. This is the way it's got to be because We're seeing ourselves stronger than ever, regardless of age. And I wanted to ask you this. I know these are short interviews. You know, how do people find out more information about this? And what do you say to your patients to support them that it doesn't matter what age you are? You can live a full life. You can address this.
2: Yeah, so... I'm going to answer the second question first. Okay. Um, so, I mean, as I tell my patients, sometimes they come in and they're like, well, do I need to have the surgery now? I'm not quite ready, but it's probably going to be easier on me than when I get older. And what I say is, you know what, like the great thing about our field is if you go to a good urogynecologist, they're going to spend a lot of time trying to understand what individual women's goals for treatment are. And what their concerns are, and what risks they're willing to endure to tailor the treatment for that patient. And as I always say, you know the the surgical reconstruction I'm going to offer someone that's forty is different than what I'm going to offer to someone that's ninety, mm-hmm. but they are both really effective at curing those symptoms. So each of those women can get back to their quality of life and doing whatever activities they want to do. And I'll tell you, I I always say we see lots of women in their 90s walk through the door. And sometimes there's a trainee there that kind of says, oh, I mean, that patient's going to be probably really old. And I'm like, let mm-hmm. me tell you, if they're 90 and they're in my office, you're going to, they're spry and they're going to be in amazing shape. Um And I think that that's to your point that women are living longer, we're in better shape. And you know, not stopping jogging and going on the trampoline when you're 30 is going to empower us to be stronger when we're 90 yeah. and to live a healthy, active lifestyle. Yeah. Um, for additional. Re-
1: yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
2: I was just going to say for your second question, which was um, other online resources, you know, I think there's a lot of good information on the web. There's a lot of misinformation on the web. Two of my favorite sources that are patient friendly and they're thorough. Um, and both evidence-based, so they are reflecting what's published in the peer-reviewed or the medical literature, are, we've developed a really nice website at Northwestern Medicine, and that is called urogynecology.nm.org, and the American Urogynecologic Society, which is the premier U.S. organization dedicated to women with pelvic floor disorders, has an excellent online portal called Voices for PFD. And on that website, you can even put in your zip code and find direct access to a board certified urogynecologist.
1: Wow. You know, thank you so much for everything you're doing. And again, thank you for the information. Just one last question, if I could. What is your personal message? What would you like to leave all of us with today? And thank you for everything you're doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess my biggest personal message is these disorders are common. They're not normal. There's treatments for them. I think some of the biggest myths I hear in my office every day are that there are no treatments, that surgery is the only option, and that surgeries don't work. And I'm really happy to say none of those things are true. There are many different options ranging from conservative to surgical things. Um, most of the treatments are highly effective there's been a tremendous uptick in research in the last 20 years to figure out which treatments are most effective for which patients. And the surgeries are now outpatient, they're minimally invasive, um, and they're no longer associated with like long down times where people, women come in and they think that they're not gonna be able to lift anything for three months and then they're never gonna be able to do heavy lifting again. And as what I always tell patients is the reason that you're having a treatment or a surgery is to get back to your lifestyle, not for me to tell you you can't do your lifestyle. Otherwise, why have the treatment? Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for everything. Hey, everybody, listen, there's a lot of great information. Please find out. Pass the word on. Thank you so much, doctor, for everything. Yeah. Thank you for talking about this important topic. Yes, it is. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back.
0: Not just talk. Conversation for profound self-awareness. Stick with us. Your best life awaits on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Jason Gunn is joining us here today, financial expert and credit cards executive at Bank of America. You know, there's a few things I've learned, you know, over the years now talking to my account rep here at B of A. One of the things I think I've learned is a, a number of ways to really look at finance from a different lens. But today, do you want some tips for keeping your summer spending in check? Yes, yes, I have to tell you that because you are clicking away. As America reopens, it pays to keep an eye on our wallets. Why? Well, that's what Jason's going to talk about. Jason, it's great to have you. <laughs>
3: That's great. Thanks for having me, Dr. Pat.
1: I'm not kidding. We are a click away from everything. We are, you know, it Mm. used to be when you purchase something, you know, there was a lot of thought that was given to it, you know, old school, but now it's like search and click and you've bought something. So help us out now.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, You're absolutely right. I'm guilty of it myself. Um, And and I think it's, you know, there's a couple of things. It's it's really, you know, we always talk about budgeting, but, you you know, I think you also have to make sure that you're looking at your budget from what you need versus what you want. And and, um, I think most of us probably overspend in the want category versus the need category.
1: Mm. Um, I want to talk about this. You know, can you talk about spending habits now? Um, I know that we've done a lot of shows and we're going to continue to do a lot of shows on the fact that we we're not being we're not going back to what we knew as normal in so many ways. There's a new paradigm and a new shift and there's a new normal for a lot of things. But you're on the pulse of what people are doing. What are some of the habits? What are you seeing?
3: Yes. So, we, we've all been, um, you know, um, constrained, if you will, the last 12 to 14 months. And um, we are seeing that people are going out to restaurants um, in excess of where we were in 2019. We're seeing people frequent uh, retail stores, which they weren't really able to do uh, in, in the last 12 to 14 months. And really didn't need to, right? You didn't really need to buy new clothes when you were not leaving your house very often. Um, and then we're also seeing some people you know, return to traveling. So spend levels um, that we're seeing on both debit and credit cards are 22% higher in the, the second quarter of 2021 than they were in, in 2019. And um, I would also say though, that people are doing it responsibly. So during the pandemic, We've seen uh, people, you know, have more money from a savings perspective on average than what they did going into the pandemic. And really, that was brought on by the fact that you weren't able to to spend on some of those bigger ticket items like travel. Um, some people benefited from stimulus. Um, other people took advantage of refinancing their debt and, um, you know, improved their balance sheet. So. People have more money to spend, and they also have the de- desire to spend. I think the the key is making sure um, that you know you're disciplined about that and have the right balance of of you know spending on what you you want versus what you need.
1: And you know, let's talk about this because from your perspective, when we're thinking about this, we have some tips, and I think that's what people really want to know. We want to know. <laughs> I'd love for you, Jason, to give us some tips. But on the other hand, I really want to have some summer fun, and so this yeah. is really the dance, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it it it, it is, and you can do both, right? Um, you know, I would say my observation, particularly around travel, is if if you're choosing to travel, it really requires some some planning, and 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 you can save yourself a lot of money. Um, if you're flexible and um, a good example of that is if you're able to travel during the week uh, versus traveling uh, over the weekend those airline tickets lodging uh, the price differences between those uh, are, are, are dramatically uh, different um, in addition to that if you're able to try you know travel during the week i think um restaurant prices and deals and things of that nature are more available to you uh as well. And then, you know, I would the last thing I would tell you to do is look at how um you can earn rewards. And whether that be from a credit card, whether that be from a particular merchant, um, look into those programs and make sure that you're being rewarded for your spending. Um, because for example, credit card rewards programs over the last couple of years have become more lucrative and um, it will benefit you and you'll be able to save money if you're using a rewards card versus a cash in check. As long as you have the discipline to pay it in full or pay it on time or, um, you know, use the tools that are available to, to make sure you're staying on your plan.
1: And I think that once we learn the benefit of this, I think this is where we're talking about, but, you know, people are really baffled Jason by how to select a new card. I mean, I'm going through this myself, you know, I'm at the point now where I'm thinking of thinking of consolidating, but it becomes daunting if you don't know how to select a new credit card. So what are some tips on that?
3: Yeah. So I, w- I would say there's a couple of things I would um I would look at the entire banking relationship for example and understand what your bank has to offer you and so a lot of banks only have you know a rewards program on a credit card um where bank of america has a rewards program across our products it really amplifies the benefits that you you get so i'll give you an example we have um a card unlimited cash rewards that will earn you one and a half percent cash back on all purchases, no limits, no caps. Um, But if you're in our preferred rewards program, um, which rewards your entire relationship, you have the opportunity to earn 2.62% on that same card, just based on the fact that you have a checking account with a bank and you have a certain amount of deposits and investments, with the bank and and in addition to the amplifying of the card rewards it gives you access to discounts on auto loans gives you access to discounts on mortgages and things of that nature so it's a more holistic program um so i would look at you know not just the card rewards but just the entire banking rewards uh when you're doing that evaluation
1: um you know i know that We are, and let me just say this, you know, people are so eager to get back to something that looks like or resembles their past fun, their past joy, Um, but at the same time, having a level of awareness so that you're not straining your wallet or that you're making sure you're doing things. Give us some tips on how to track spending because out of everything we've talked about, I think this is the one area that we really need some help with.
3: Yeah. So I agree with you. Um, We have the ability to reset. Um, And, you know, as I said before, many people um, didn't spend as much and were able to improve their balance sheets. And, you know, let's not go back to kind of where you were if you weren't comfortable where you were. So, you know, I, I would say gone are the days where, you have to wait 30 days for your bill to come in to figure out how much you spent. It's really critical that you take advantage of the online and mobile tools that are out there from your financial institution and stay on track of your spending um, weekly because what that does is it allows you to change behaviors during the month so you're, you're, not, um, you're not surprised. There's a lot of tools like alerts and things that can be set to notify you when you've, you know cross those thresholds that uh, consumers can take advantage of. And and just uh, I would just encourage the, your listeners to just adopt digital capabilities because it really affords you to stay on top of your, your finances. And there's spending and budgeting tools. There's financial literacy education on how to get your FICO score up. Bank of America, if you're a credit card holder, allows you to get your FICO score monthly for free. Those are all the types of things that I think help um, you know, people stay on top of their finances.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the key things you also talked about, which we don't talk about enough, is, you know, if you're part of a family where you share a credit card, uh, and what I mean by that is you have several credit cards that are available to maybe your partner or your children. um, Keeping track of these expenses is very important and knowing when they're happening, as opposed to when you get your statement. In. And I think those are important things. Isn't there also a way for people to have an alert to say, if I spend more than this, alert me? Or if someone spends more right. than this, alert me?
3: Yeah, you, we, I mean, we, um, a lot of companies have different features. I know we, for example, have the feature that you can select um dollar amounts you can select certain categories um that'll alert you when you trip some of trip some of those things and um you know i have teenagers that use my credit card and um you know i'm i'm definitely keeping track of what they're doing
1: well look jason i want to thank you for this today a couple of things you know there's a lot of information here in the conversation and, you know, most importantly, I want to make sure people know that this is an important way to prioritize, you know, what they want and, you know, what features to look for. And you've covered that. Have we left anything out?
3: No, we haven't left anything out. But um, what I would, you know, if people are interested in learning more, um, go to bankofamerica.com forward slash credit cards. Um, we have information about, Uh, financial literacy that I referenced. We have information about the preferred rewards programs that we have. We have information about the various card products that we offer. There's a plethora of information um, that people can look at to to meet their financial needs.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. Again, give out that website for more information.
3: All right. BankofAmerica.com forward slash credit cards.
1: All right, Thanks everybody. For me, Dr. Yeah, Jason, thank you. Everybody out there, you know, hot, hot fun in the sun, but make sure you know what you're doing and not burning up your budget. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Inspire,
0: create, empower.
3: Only on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to a good news segment. I really want to congratulate my very special guest today. Jared Not joining me here today. Best-selling multiple award winner, 2021 International Book Award and New Gen Indie Award. Why? Well, here is what he is passionate about. Tiny blunders which cause big disasters. You know, these are mistakes that change the world. And there are so many to really think about in the way he's highlighted and covered them in the book fascinating is an understatement but learning from them that's really what this book is about uh jared thank you so much for joining me here today i mean that's my take on the book it's like there's so much here and yes these are fascinating they're interesting but boy what are the lessons right
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Yes, that's the point at the end of the book. Okay, it's not just a collection of freaks and novelties and interesting stories. There is a basic point to young people and to all of us. uh, There are ways of avoiding mistakes and being very cognitive of mistakes and advanced planning that can save a lot of grief in the end.
1: You know, was there something that you saw, I mean, uh, that really got your attention? I know there is a a consideration in the book for COVID and the COVID crisis. And I often wonder, you know, what is it that has somebody say, wait a minute, I've got to write this book because I've got something to share. I think it's important for people to remember.
0: Yes, it actually, the inspiration actually comes from an old adage it comes down from different people, but primarily Benjamin Franklin, that for one of the nail, the shoe was lost, for one of the shoe, the rider was lost, for one of the rider, the battle was lost, for one of the battle, the empire was lost. But how often does that really happen that a single tiny mistake causes an entire empire to collapse? You'll be amazed how often happens over and over again.
1: And, you know, it seems to, it seems to happen over and over again. You know, I want to just, I want to make a statement, then I want you to talk about it because it's in your book. Um, Mm I'm finding that as, you know, the more work I do with uh, coaching people, especially in groups of young men and women, you know, I'm finding that the history is lost. Um, Mm -hmm. And if not the history event itself, but the detail of it. And the reason I'm bringing it up is I'm bringing up some of the things that you talk about in the book. As a matter of fact, I made a reference to Viktor Frankl, survivor of World War II, Nazi Germany, you know, Auschwitz. And it Uh was fascinating how many people were in awe and the realization that, huh, I didn't know that. Can you talk to some of those things that you feel are important for us to know but then got lost in the translation.
0: Uh, yes, uh, we see terrible things happening, and uh, gee, it's too bad, that's a shame, but uh, if you look beyond that, what was the core principle, what was the core mistake that was made, and what, how could it have been avoided, and how can we avoid similar mistakes in the future? Now, there is a, one of my favorite parts of the book is, uh, talks about Atoll Gawandi who is a, uh, a, a doctor who wrote the book, the checklist manifesto. Mm. And he talked about how, gee, in the operating room, the standard procedure was you get six, seven, eight years of experience underneath your belt. Okay. Then you go into the operating room and just go by gut instinct and hope, for, and hoping for the best and, and operating that way. But he said, we're human beings. We all miss things. It was great complexity. It was being developed in the operating room, with the drugs, the plasma, all the different things that had to take place. So, and mistakes were being made and things being missed. So, he wondered how they were handling these uh, great complexities over in the airline industry, which they also had a similar situation, a great intellectual, uh, 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 physiological, and so on and so forth challenges that the people, uh, airline pilots, had to deal with, uh, sometimes when just with a few seconds' notice. So, he went to talk to the people at Boeing, and it went back to a famous airline accident, a crash that took place back in, way back in 1935. And they were testing the early prototype of what became the flying fortress, the B-17. And two very, very good pilots were flying it and they uh, the plane and they made a mistake. They forgot to turn off the elevator yoke, uh, which is part of the automatic pilot system. They forced the nose of the airplane up. It stalled and it pancaked down and killed both the pilot and the co-pilot. And again, these were among the best pilots that they had. So in the accident investigation, how can this sort of thing be avoided in the future? And it went back, to an ancient tool, the humble checklist. Oh. And so they put together a procedure, it may be 37 items, it maybe 44 items that have to be gone through by the first the pilot and the co pilot before the airplane ever takes off. Item number one, such and such a dial has to be turned in such and such a position. Check, check. Item number two, elevator yoke has to be turned off. Check, check. And so on and so forth. Now, they, if you get too many of them, you get like 80 or 90, it becomes overwhelming, but you give a reasonable number of the critical items, so that became adopted by the airline industry and the um, uh, Air Force, uh, at that point, the Army Air Corps, and it saved hundreds of lives uh, in World War II of novice pilots flying uh, planes uh, with just relatively little experience, and now, of course, for many years, it's been adapted uh, all the way across the airline industry. Human beings can only think about one thing at a time, so with a checklist you make sure that you're able to think about each of these items and don't miss them. They so took that same uh, that principle, applied it to the operating room, and they got dramatic uh, results. The uh, fatalities were reduced by 36% when they went with the uh, checklist system. Something else, by the way, that helped them, they found that when everybody in the operating room knew everybody else's name, it opened up communication, and that also is very good for reducing fatalities. So, that can, of course, that can be applied that same A basic principle can be applied to building a a treehouse, can be applied to uh, putting together a garden, can be applied to uh, your daily work, and almost anything we do. A preparation and a checklist, that in itself is a very important principle.
1: You know, there are so many things, and thank you for sharing that story. Uh, There are so many things that I want to talk about with you, and there's so many things we're not going to be able to cover in this short, short interview. But how do people get a copy of the book? How do they find out more about you? Because I know we're going to get rolling here, and (laughs) we're going to totally forget to tell folks. What's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yes. uh, Thank you for asking. Uh, You go to tinyblundersbigdisasters.com, tinyblunders.com big com. That's the website. We have a great book credit there. We have uh, two and a half chapters that are free. Also the uh, portrait gallery. I love the portrait gallery. And it's a fun place to visit uh, by itself. And you can, by the way, we have a special uh, for limited time only. We just started yesterday. You can do the electronic download for just a dollar and 99 cents. We're going to keep that on there for about another week. So this is a good time to take advantage of that special value.
1: Look, there is so much in this book. I mean, what was it? If, if I can ask you this question, what was the thing where you'd hit you in your heart and you said, I've got to write this book about this? You know, was there something you discovered? Was there a lost fact? Was there something where you had to say, oh, my gosh, you know, if folks only knew that if Hitler would have done dot, 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 we'd all be speaking German?
0: Uh, yes, there's some, a lot of mistakes in World War II, and I uh, uh, don't know where to begin. <laughs> the, uh, Adolf Hitler, very intelligent man, I hate to say it, very evil man, but one of his big mistakes, which a lot of people are repeating that same mistake, was he had a quack doctor, Dr. Morrell, who was shooting him full of amphetamines and also shooting him full, apparently, of, uh, of opioids as well,
1: Oh, jeez, yeah. and it,
0: uh, his uh, decision-making, he'd been very rational. Getting to be in control of Germany and beginning the war, but someplace around 1940, 1941, early 1942, someplace in there, he seemed to start losing control. And when he was under the influence of these amphetamines and possibly looks like also opioids as well, he would fly into these regions. He would fly into these. uh, Well, the more threatening the situation became. The more euphoric and unreasonably euphoric he he would go and speak for an hour, hour and a half just to the people in his office, talking about the great things he's going to do and how things are going to be going their way and so on and so forth. And became somewhat detached from reality and made some very foolish decisions. The decision to invade Russia in itself uh. was highly questionable, but really the decision to declare war on the United States. It was not the United States. The declared war in Germany it was just the opposite. That was a very foolish decision. He already had a plate just loaded uh, with fighting uh, Russia and fighting the rest of the England and the rest of the allies. But to add the United States on top of that almost guaranteed that he was going to lose. But he, if they just uh, followed a rational behavior, followed the advice of his generals, he has a very good chance they could have won a big piece of World War II. That would be just uh, just one example. Uh, and uh, thank gosh, he, he did. At one point, the Allies were going to send in a team that I think was already airdropped in near Birch's Garden, and they were planning to assassinate Adolf Hitler there at his, uh, his home uh, compound there in the mountains. But they decided that he was making so many mistakes, it's better to keep him in power than to take him out. Yeah. So they allowed him to live because he was yeah. bumbling things uh, so badly. Um, yeah. But then, also too, when I first had the idea, uh, one of the first. Um, ideas that came to me was the uh, here's the teaser for it a single piece of tape rotated several inches the wrong direction changed the outcome of the vietnam war and uh uh, and led to the collapse of uh the nixon administration it's like what in the world are we talking about the the united states might very well have won the war except for this single tiny mistake well that doesn't make any sense that single piece of tape what are we talking about it had to do with the watergate break-in The burglars were told when they jimmied the lock from the parking garage into the office building, they should hold the striker of the door down with a piece of tape in the vertical position. But they made a mistake. Uh, They put it in a horizontal position so then it could be seen in the hallway by Frank Wills, the uh, night watchman, as he came walking by. You can see that at the beginning of the movie, all the presidents men. Here's this uh, tape. Here's the striker. And uh, he calls the police. Had to call him twice, by the way. And there's a good rumor, I think it's true, but I'm not sure it's true, that they originally called for a uniform officer to come and answer the call, but the officer was intoxicated in a local bar. So he was not able to make it, so they sent the bum patrol in his place. It was three officers dressed as hobos in a jalopy car. Well, the lookout did not recognize them as police officers. When they pulled up to the Watergate. they got into the building, and it was uh, too late. Uh, to stop them when they arrested uh, James McCord and the Cuban uh, burglars, which led to Watergate, which led to the collapse of the adminis- Nixon administration. Henry Kissinger said that they knew the North Vietnamese were going to be violating the treaty, and the plan was to go in there and bomb the living daylights out of them again to get them back into compliance. But they were so weak politically they couldn't. Yeah. So they had to let the South Vietnam collapse, the Nixon administration collapse. It all fell apart because of a single piece of tape and a drunk police officer.
1: Yeah. And isn't that fascinating? There are so many stories that we can point to, you know, where these tiny blunders cause big disasters. You know, one of the things I love, you know, this particular book is 39 tiny mistakes that changed the world forever. Um, and, you know, you have everything in here, Jared, from medical mistakes to military mistakes, you know, yes. to j- just a range of things in here. Is there any one of these that you discovered that surprised you more than the others?
0: Yes, there's um, several that uh, come to mind. Uh-huh. Uh, but let me, in our limited time, I'll pick one that's the most sure. stinging. Uh, and uh, there was a it has to do with the 2000 election down in Florida. It was not the hanging chads. It was something completely different. And it was uh, the butterfly ballot and uh, yeah. it was done in Palm Beach County.
3: Mm.
0: And there was I won't say the lady's name, but she was the clerk, clerk of elections, very intelligent, very nice lady, very professional and conscientious. And she wanted to have a ballot with large print so that the older people in the county could read it easily. So she had a design a ballot uh, that had two pages to it, a left page and a right page, and they had uh, punch holes down the center. Well, Al Gore was the number uh, two name on the ballot on the left-hand side, but he was the number three punch hole. The number two punch hole belonged to Pat Buchanan on the other side of the page. So a lot of people got confused, and, and Pat Buchanan, by the way, in nearby counties got like 100, 150, maybe 200 votes per county. This one county gets three or 4,000 votes. And some people uh, punched both punch holes. They punched uh, Pat Buchanan. They realized they made a mistake. Then they punched Al Gore. But then invalidated their ballot. There were like 4,000-some invalidated ballots. Those 2,000 or 3,000 that went to Pat uh, Buchanan that shouldn't have. Uh, Al Gore loses the state of Florida by like 450 yes. votes.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: loses the state of, uh, of Florida. He would have definitely won the state of Florida. He would have been elected president of the United States. He was adamantly opposed to the war in Iraq and Iraq. It, uh, it cost 50,000 lives, and it cost uh, $2 trillion in wasted material. Um, even conservatives, many conservatives now can see that it was not a wise war. Mm-hmm. All of that could have been avoided. And they had uh, this nice lady um, on one of the morning talk shows, and they were saying to her, people say that you're responsible for this war <laughs> uh, because of this uh, ballot. <laughs> she was in tears. Oh oh, 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 oh. Well, I appreciate the fact that you're crying. We got fifty thousand dead people and two trillion dollars down the drain, all because of a single yeah. tiny mistake.
1: Yeah, I think. At, I mean, I think that when I think about blunders, that dots are connected. That particular one really just hits me. You know, it rises mm-hmm. above where you have a ripple effect, and that's what I was really struck by, Jared, when I was reading your book. It was the ripple effect of something. So we look at these tiny blunders, right? Just saying, right. we're looking at the tiny blunders, and you think it's like a single thing, but there is a ripple effect to every yes. single one of these in the book.
0: Yes, the I dom- mean, domino effect. The yes.
1: domino effect, thank you. Um, and clearly, for me, when I think about some of these, we live through them. I lived through the Al Gore one, which was mm-hmm. just a disastrous nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. But there, you know, there are others which go back in time. There are others that you talk about the USS Maine and the war with Spain, but there's a couple that have to do with individual people, right? That have to Mm -hmm, do with things that happen to individual people along the way. Everybody from Washington, I think to Roosevelt, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about these individual things that happen. Um, in your opinion, this is the last time, I, last last question I can ask you because we're going to be out of time in here. What do you think is the most disastrous if you have your personal opinion about, look, tiny blunder. Oh, this is the one. This is the one that nobody's forgiven for.
0: Yes. I'm um, going <laughs> um, to try to summarize it quickly that, that, uh, because it's not a real short story. But I'll try to make it as short as possible. It had to do with the 1919 Versailles Treaty. Uh, everybody was, uh, the winners were dividing up the spoils. Japan uh, had done great work in defeating the Germans in the Pacific, and they'd uh, taken over the German concessions in China, okay, and uh, they wanted their share of the spoils. And what they asked were two things, a statement of equality that all human beings and all ethnic groups throughout the world should be treated equally under the law by all nations, okay, which it would seem like a very reasonable request, but it was opposed by uh, Australia and also the senators in the western United States, they did not want immigration from Asia because they would be taking jobs away from their voters. So they were opposed even to a paragraph of, of, of human equality. Uh, the other thing the Japanese wanted, they wanted to be able to keep control of the Germans' concessions in China, which uh, they had taken, uh, taken away from the Germans. Well, uh, the, uh, Roosevelt needed the votes of the western senators to try and get his League of Nations uh, through the Senate. Uh, he was also under a lot of pressure from uh, Billy Hughes down there in Australia, who was a pugnacious prime minister. So he caves in on that point, does not have the statement of human equality uh, in the Versailles Treaty. But as a sop to the Japanese, he said, well, listen, you can't have your statement of equality, which in the 21st century mind seems yeah. crazy. But, we, but as an offset with that, we're going to let you keep the concessions in China. Well, one yeah. of his main points, of his 14 points, There's local determination that local people would be able to have their own governments and not have governments imposed on them from outside colonial powers. So it was a violation of everything he promised. This plan was announced on May the 3rd. The dates are important. And on the now infamous May 4th, demonstrations all across China and beginning of the May 4th movement, which became the communist movement. Malisei tone became a part of it, oh. China became a communist country mm-hmm. instead of a democracy like India or, or Japan or South Korea.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: became a communist country. If, if they had not made that mistake, if they just taken and quoted from the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator, so on and so forth, like this, put that into the Fairside Treaty, the whole thing would have been uh, avoided, okay, and not be, let the Japanese take yeah. the German concessions. Wow. China might have been a democracy today, COVID might not have taken place, the the Korean War, Vietnam War would not have taken place, it would be a different place and a much Mm -hmm. better place to live. Uh, So I had to kind of, it's a long story, but it's kind of jammed it into a few seconds here.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, the last thing I want to ask you about, because I do have to run is, if you do a book two, will you have a number of COVID blunders in there? I think so. There's <laughs> just so,
0: just such despair. I mean, just, uh, three and a half million people gone.
1: over yep. uh, four
0: hundred thousand Americans gone. It could have been so easily avoided, yep. and it may have been may have been a war crime. It may have been uh, yeah no accident altogether. There's some steps where they was actually uh, was. I think the Chinese were deliberately in their spread of the disease. So it's an ugly, ugly story. Partly part of it is a mistake and part of it is a a deliberate deliberate evil on their part.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and you and I can continue. I know we've got a short interview, but, you know, I think there could be a whole book of blunders on mistakes that were made against humanity, including not looking at what people are going through COVID right now. You know, even increasing the deferment on rent payments. I mean, I just think. You're on the tip of the iceberg. I want to congratulate you for a blockbuster book. Um, thank you very much. And I, I honestly thank you so much for putting so many things that are important for us to remember in a, in a book that I'm hoping people read so that we don't forget that any one blunder can cost lives. Thank you so much for everything today.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Great Thank honor.
1: You. Yeah. Thank I want to just say, everybody, tiny tiny blunders, big disasters, 39 tiny mistakes that changed the world forever. They really did. They're fascinating. We didn't get to all of them. Uh, Jared not joining me here today. Lots of information. Go to the sites Jared mentioned. But please, please read these and speak with them with your children. This is a book for all of us to be reminded of how vulnerable we have as human beings and that we just don't know it all wow let's take a short break everybody we'll be right back
0: we'd love to hear from you on transformation talk radio and live on facebook call into the show 1 800-930-2819
4: welcome to shades of spirit guided meditation on centering and grounding your energy. Please do this meditation in a safe space. Do not drive while meditating. Find a place where you can sit comfortably, either inside or outside. Take off your shoes and connect the soles of your feet to mother earth. Take a second to quiet your mind, body, and spirit. Start taking some slow and steady deep breaths in through your nose and out your mouth, allowing yourself to sink deeper and deeper into your space. Allow your eyelids to get heavier with each breath. On the next inhale, I want you to picture a ball of light right in front of you it just so happens to be your favorite color. Your ball of light starts to spin in front of you. It is inviting you to join it on a little adventure. As you look to the side of your ball of light, you notice you are in a field of wildflowers. Put your hands out, and as you follow the ball of light through the field, Feel the tips of the tall grasses and wildflowers tickle the palms of your hands. Take a deep breath in and smell the flowers that are in bloom all around you. If you notice any thoughts other than what you are experiencing at this moment, acknowledge them and let them go. Continue following your ball of light as it takes you on this very special journey. Look down at your bare feet as you follow the path. You can feel the damp, cool soil making contact with the soles of your feet. You may even be able to hear the leaves crunching as you walk over them. You are in a centered state at this moment. You have no resistance. You do not hesitate. You are alive, alert, and engaged. An inner calm takes over you are in the present moment connecting with your higher self you are in a neutral state of oneness you are centered you look up to see your ball of light leading you to a beautiful oak tree follow it to the white bench that sits just under the canopy of branches and leaves if you choose sit down on the white bench allowing your feet to firmly root into the ground picture roots coming from the soles of your feet intertwining with the ancient oak tree now feel that energy come up from your roots through your legs torso neck shoulders and come out the top of your head allow this energy to flow through and around you allow the oak tree to take any and all energy that is not for your highest and best now ask the oak tree and mother earth to transmute that energy and send it back out into the universe as love and light you have now grounded your energy When you are ready, allow your roots to come back up into the soles of your feet. You look to the side and see your ball of light ready to bring you back to your physical body. Follow your ball of light on the same path you came from. You become aware of the freshness in the air, the wind caressing your face, and the warmth of the sun on your body. As you approach the place you started this journey you look back for your ball of light and realize it was your higher self all along centering and grounding you today take some slow and steady deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth bringing your awareness back to the room you are in Feel the chair beneath you and the ground under your feet. Wiggle your toes and fingers. Roll out your shoulders and neck. Take a few minutes to become adjusted to your physical body before you continue your day.